Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Wednesday Night Live. First Wednesday Night Live of the month of November. And I believe that that signifies something wonderful for us, and we'll talk about that as part of our broadcast today. My name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. It's great to be able to greet my congregation here in this church, as well as all of our Saints Network family who are joining with us from many places around the world. Wanted to give just a, a bit of, of uh, public announcement to my congregation, and this, all the rest of you can listen to this too if you want, because it affects most of you. This coming Sunday is time change. Um, I was talking last night in my home about how I forgot to announce that this past Sunday. And um, I even expressed the fact that maybe we just don't say anything at all because then people would get here on time. Uh, it used to always crack me up because uh, back when I was just pastoring the general church here, time change would come. And I would see people who were notoriously late come in on time. And it, I just chuckled. I never made issue of it. I just, I just noted it and laughed. So it's time to turn your clock back this coming, for this coming Sunday. Also, on Saturday, it's first Saturday prayer time. A directive should be going out today if it's not already reached you. And... Um, we look forward to praying together with saints in many, many nations coming before the throne on every first Saturday of the month. It's, uh, I remember when this first started, it was really something that was impressed upon me by the Spirit. And um, we, still don't have, we still don't have everybody participating in the network. This I don't understand, but to each his own. I just know what God asked us to do, and I'm very grateful for the myriad numbers who are, who are joining around the world on First Saturday. Uh, I believe it is something that pleases the Lord, and I believe that it's something that helps all of us. So, watch for that and be faithful to pray, whether you come here to the sanctuary or you pray at home or wherever you may be. Now, to the message of the day. This past month of October, as you well know, was a time that prophetically we pursued in our prayer and in our, um, in our pursuit of study a further delving into the biblical concept of Selah. I'm very grateful for that. I think that it has demonstrated itself in marvelous ways in our prayers and it ministered to the Lord, and it really set the stage for going into the new. I know that I ministered on Sila a number of times while we were in Brazil, and this was not uh, these these were suddenlies because I I had an entire regimen of of exhortation ready for all these churches. We did give that. It was translated and it was easy for people to 
follow along. In fact, they're, they're taking it every day uh, right now and applying the principles of, of what it means to be in the army of the Lord. But I only preached on that once. God directed us into new discussions regarding Selah. And, of course, those of you who are familiar with this, and you should be by now, I apologize to you who are turning in and either you weren't paying attention during those dozens of times we taught, maybe you didn't read the book, maybe you are tuning in for the first time, but Selah, the, the word Selah is used 74 times in the Old Testament, 71 in the Psalms, and 3 in Habakkuk. And the Lord showed us many decades, a couple of decades ago, that it was positioned as a separating point between promise and fulfillment, between challenge and deliverance. And it, it meant that the people should intercede and contemplate the dynamics of what separates from whatever the promise or whatever the challenge is from the fulfillment and the answer from the Lord. And this understanding that it was a musical term in the tabernacle that was applied during, um, during intercessory times when David would send some type of a challenge over to them and they would intercede and they would play. It was like a crescendo until a resolution came. We've studied this. We also looked at extrapolations from this word that speaks about building up a highway, the highway for the righteous. Um, it also talked about uh, warfare in taking cities. It talked about the latter uh, connecting heaven to earth in Jacob's dream and, and so many other variations. And I, I believe that we are we are in a seal of moment where the promises of God, the challenges that present themselves against the saints and the church in general are so great, but on the other side of it is a phenomenal visitation of the Spirit of the Lord, a, a great fulfillment of so many of his promises that the enemy is trying every way he can to block and, and I think that it is well for us to prophetically embrace the fact that our whole existence right now as saints, as we are pioneering into the times that God has ordained in the end, biblical times, that this is a modern day, a widespread application, Selah. So, we came out of October, uh, I was rejoicing in that, trying to determine what to do with the fresh insights that the Lord has given about Selah, because, you know, doing a rewrite in a book is, is, is a fool's errand. If you, if you try to go in and integrate new concepts into a written document, it's difficult, and it usually doesn't flow well. I thought about adding addendums or pendi, as it were, to the book. I might do that, because there are some new insights, but don't quote me. 
Um, it's it's at this point, I'm I'm looking with you into all the new things the Lord is showing, and um, if you step down to do amendments, sometimes that really breaks the momentum of what you need to be pursuing. So we'll see what the Lord wants for us. But in the meantime, yesterday, I felt the Lord strongly put it on my heart to do some further research into particularly what the Jewish world thought about Selah. Now, we've done this already, but I, I just felt that perhaps this is a present truth kind of a thing. So I began to look, and um, I, I'll just tell you, now listen carefully, don't ask me in two minutes, what was that? Brown Driver Briggs, Hebrew English Lexicon. It is a stalwart, very scholastic publication. It's available in Olive Tree, and it's available in <clears throat> in uh, <clears throat> Logos, and probably other places. But I remember studying this initially, and it really strained my remembrance of the Hebrew classes that I endured in uh, in my days in college and seminary. But there also is a version that is anglicized. In other words, it's, it's got English in it. And it is a very respected <clears throat> publication. But there, as I read, as well as I consulted Abarim and I consulted another uh, Jerusalem-based think tank, they were just all as confused about Selah as we knew they were. The veil is really over their eyes. I'm not faulting them, I'm just saying. You know, sometimes people, even good, sincere people, they're hindered by their tradition. And things that are readily available for them, they either won't or don't see that might open them into a new reality in the Lord. So if we as Gentiles could have discovered all these principles about the tabernacle and uh, the intercessory break and all of the things that God showed us, you would think that the people whose ancestors actually participated in that, you would think that those people would know that. But either they won't or they don't, or both. Because it would challenge their understanding of who God is and what they really prefer to consider their relationship with the Most High. The closest I came to, um, to finding any semblance of the meaning that God has shown us, and this was scholastic pursuits back then. I mean, it wasn't, oh, wow, I think this means this even though we know that's the truth, <laughs> was that one of the commentators stated 
that after the people came back from the Persian exile, that there were three words that they cherished that signified a benediction or an ending to something. The first was Amen or Aman, which we know is the right hand. It's, it means let what God has said there be fulfilled. Second, Shalom, which means going forth and returning with joy and victory, which is peace. But the third is sila. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, that in the mindset of the culture, when people came back from the Babylonian captivity, these were the three terms that they would use to express some type of triumph. So I extended a little bit further, and I saw, with that knowledge, that another commentator said that this was like, to them, some kind of an ecstatic expression, that sila itself meant a culmination and a static expression of delight and um, triumph, which I thought was very interesting. So, in a way, that individual and that think group were, were denoting the culmination of what we know Sila is, but they were only looking at that. Now, there was a Messianic group that then picked up on this, and they said, stick with me now, we're just kids talking here. They said that this, and these were Messianic Christo-Jews, <laughs> that's a term we picked up in France, um, they said that the, on the day of Pentecost, when the church was formed, that somehow this, the, when the visitation of the Spirit came and there was an ecstatic utterance from heaven and a sound, that that was a culminative demonstration of a sila. And they, uh, these people really weren't even Pentecostal. They, they were saying that this was an expression, it was a one-off, it was a one-timer, which so many of our Baptist friends strain the, the meter to try to say that tongues were, you have to grit your teeth and bear it, it happened, but it's not for today. These people said that uh, this was a sila type of a, um, expression. I thought that was interesting too. What we want to talk about today is some other aspects of this that I saw in these more scholastically driven Hebrew lexicons, some lesser known but yet um, valid der derivatives of, of the sila. And so... We're choosing our signature passage for this message to read about John the Baptist. In, John, in Matthew chapter 3, 
beginning at verse 1, here we go. There's no teaching sheet. You're just giving you this scripture, so I hope you can all find it. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, you people, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is he that was spoken of by Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair, a leather girdle about his loins, his meat was locusts and wild honey. Wild honey. Locusts. We've taught about this. We've studied it. And really, once again, whatever we have put forward is, is true. Uh, and the beauty of the word of the Lord is that if you do it right, if you study it honestly and sincerely, God lines upon line it, line upon lines it, <laughs> lines upon line it, line upon lines it, and he builds upon his foundation, and it will always be that way. So we talked about John, you know, being in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, building up the highway. We talked about uh, how locusts come, they, they're on the wind, they, they move and invade uh, areas they're like a cloud on the wind we talked about honey and how that's the prospect of uh, milk and honey in the new land and those things are true but there's an additional thing that we need to to talk about here one is that particularly about the highway um, the, the extrapolations from Sela in building highways, the one thing that I discovered was that that was never describing any kind of roadway within a city. It was always pioneering into the new, like a Roman road, as it were, that would connect one region to another. And this would be for earthly endeavors, it would also be for spiritual endeavors in the heavens. We saw also in the studies that the stars in their courses that the Old Testament speaks about that, about that fought against Sisera, those courses were one of these types of sila derivatives that speak about highway. And so John is preparing the way of the Lord and preparing a way for the righteous nation to enter in. And I, I noticed, again, from this study that in the, the koine of, of the people, not just in the, the Bible, and we're sticking with the scripture. Don't say I've gone off course here. But derivatives of Selah were used to describe how roads were crooked and how they were decimated or how they had fallen into ruin. This word, particularly salafa, meant to pervert or to subvert something. It meant to ruin or to turn something upside down. When the enemy spoke 
or the people of God spoke about ascending. These scholars demonstrated the fact that Allah is a derivative of Selah. And so when the enemy spoke about, I will ascend, or when the people of God were to ascend, this was a reference from the root of Selah. I thought that was very, very interesting. So we see, we're going to get back to John the Baptist here. We see today so many things that are openly, it's a battle for perversion. I could list them, but you should know them. Now, there are a lot of politicians right now who are denying that these things are happening in our society. One of the, I, I'm just saying, one of the most ridiculous ones is the governor of New York who's saying that there is no heightened violence in New York City or in the subways. This is all manufactured by supremacists. And you've got video after video after video and testimony after testimony of people who have been attacked, people who witnessed murders, people who witnessed insane things happening. I was listening to an interview with the, with the uh, president of El Salvador, which means savior. And he was saying that he sees our country and he sees uh, the, the decline of many of our major cities. And he said <clears throat> that over the past decades, <clears throat> from what he first saw in America, he doesn't recognize anymore. It's, he said, it is like, I thought this was interesting, it is like there is a purposeful intent to ruin from within, to destroy from within. And I think that's true. Dozens of people every weekend murdered in Chicago. You, you heard about this recent one during a <clears throat> Halloween celebration on the weekend. And this is happening in many places around the country. It's perversion, it's subversion, and it's part of the enemy plan to turn things, make them crooked, to apply it's a battle of the sila. Now we are to be synonymous with the friends of the bridegroom. And I want to focus on two factors of what John ate. What it says he ate. Locusts and wild honey. And this really surprised me, but I was blessed by it because it is prophetically significant. First of all, the book of Leviticus says that there's one type of locust that is edible, that is, it's okay to eat. And this is in Leviticus 11.22. This locust is just is 
the word in Hebrew is a derivative of Selah. I think that's interesting. Why would this, this type of locust, this edible locust, be a derivative of Selah? Well, I think for one thing, it describes how locusts can come in and be upon one another. And, and their effects can um, extrapolate forward upon one another. Their invasions make um, a, a build-up. But the point, though, is that God chose this. God chose this term. Of all these creatures, why in the world would they call this locust by a derivative of Selah? And why then would John eat this? Well, I think it shows that if you're in the wilderness and you're dealing with a destructive influence, you're dealing with something that is ordained by its identity to bring perversion, destruction, uh, to, to sow a, a measure of desolation, that you must not only defeat that, but you turn it. And this becomes your meat in the wilderness. I thought that was very interesting. But what about honey? Now, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 13, You'll find a description there, a very lengthy description in that extended passage of what Jacob was supposed to be in God. In fact, when I read, when I read it, I think, Lord, this is one of those times where you're describing what Jacob should have been as opposed to really what he was. Sometimes when we were prophesying over people regarding their the hidden crypto or their the gifts that God gave them sometimes if that person turned or became corrupted or became an enemy of the faith some people would say pastor but you said this about them how can this be you prophesied this over them well there's a big difference between seeing what God has created somebody to be and what they actually become. Isn't that true? In fact, I've kind of gotten away from telling people glowing things about themselves because so often that has a, um, a, a, a an anticlimactic effect. They then begin to believe their own press clippings and it, it kind of fuels their doesn't always happen, but for some people it fuels their pride. And they like it so much that they keep going to other people to have them tell them how good they are. It's better to note what God says, walk in humility, and let God promote you. 
So, but Jacob, there in, in Deuteronomy 32, and one of the things it says about is that Jacob would suck honey out of the rock. What is the word translated from in Hebrew that rock is is indicated by in English? It's Selah. Now, I know that there was the instance of Jonathan and he was going through to attack the, the Philistines, the Philistines and his goofy dad, pardon my besmirching, said, okay, you're going out to fight physically, everybody fast. And Jonathan and his buddies were going through a grove of trees and they saw honey on the ground. There was so much honey in the hives in the tree that he stuck his his rod, uh, his spear up into a honeycomb and brought honey down. It brightened his eyes. His buddy said, oh, didn't you know about your father's um, prohibition from eating? And Jonathan said, no, I hadn't heard about that. But he said, that doesn't make sense. Um, if everybody was eating honey, our all, all of our eyes would be brightened and we'd have even a more dynamic victory over these people. But that was honey in the wilderness uh, from bees, which is fine. But if we're talking about John the bee, who's out in the wilderness, most of the honey he's going to find where there aren't any trees, or if there's just shrubs or cacti, He's going to have to find where those bees have made their their uh, their hives or their setting inside rocks, and you get that honey out of the rock. I remember an old hymn, which most of you probably only the stewards in my family will know it. It was "There's honey in the rock for you." Oh, there's honey in the rock, my brother. There's honey in the rock for you. Remember that one. Everyone stand. But that was a seal of rock. So, John the Baptist is eating two things that are sila. Do you see this? The man who is calling repentance for those things that have been perverted, subverted, ruined, turned upside down by the enemy, made crooked, the man who is preparing the way of the Lord, he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, that man, what did he eat? What was his nourishment? Locusts, and this was the only kind of locust that was kosher, this is Sela locust. And probably the only kind of honey he was going to find out there in the wilderness was out of the Sela rock. It would be very difficult for honey to come out of a sewer rock. How would it penetrate something that's impermeable? So for us who are called to prepare the way of the Lord, to build up the highway of what God is doing, connecting so that righteous nations may enter in, our sustenance is on both ends, Selah. 
Isn't that interesting? I think it is. I think it's very interesting. So, we are believing for the breakthrough that is evident to be um, manifested in this, in this coming year. And it's fitting for us, th after this month of October, this 10th month, this fast of feasting month, the month where prophetically we pursued seal of prayer every week, uh, it, it's important for us to recognize several things. First of all, this isn't just something that is relegated to David's Psalms or Habakkuk, the seer. We cherish that understanding. But this is a part of everything that the saints are called to do, the friends of the bridegroom. We're in a world that is beset by perversion, ruin. Our enemy says that he will function in that way. And through that, then, he will become like God. We are in a scenario where um, we find wickedness abounding. People who, are, who, are who have devoted themselves to the destruction of what is holy and of those who are pursuing righteousness. I don't want to scare anybody, but right now the target has been on the entirety of the church by the enemy. And little by little, our enemy is succeeding in perverting the church, turning people away from what is biblical and causing those who at one time believed in the Bible and believed in the things that God declared there, turning them into antagonists and embracing and those who embrace perversion. That will probably continue. The effect will be that people will, in the church, will either go along with it and don't underestimate this, the idiocy of people. Don't underestimate how millions of people, good, good Americans, are embracing things that are in, designed to destroy this country. Don't underestimate deception. Many will, there'll be a great falling away first, the scripture says. And then in conjunction with those who fell, they will begin to attack further into the core of those who have devoted themselves to God. And the end result will be the saints and the prophets who are in the Bible, undeniably in the Bible, those that the Antichrist, the Queen of Heaven, the Beast, the False Prophet, and the world in general are wanting to see destroyed. So, 
you've got this battle of selahs that are going on right now for, for the world, for the kingdom, for the spirit realm. Now, on the one hand, we've seen that the ladder into heaven, Jacob again, at Bethel, is a selah. We see that the courses in the heaven where the angels um, function are selahs. This is biblical. The divine author. This isn't some nonsense. Listen, if I, if I didn't know that this was firmly scriptural. There is no way I'd be saying it. First of all, because I have a devotion to the Word of God. Secondly, I'm not going to open this network up. It, it's already uh, ridiculed, but I'm not going to open this network up to, um, to blind spot shots from people because we're believing things that are not biblical. I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't do that for myself. I'm sure not going to do it for you. So, it's a spiritual battle. It's a battle for placement. And remember, Allah is directly, um, in many ways, opposing Elyon or the Most High. So, there's that battle of the Selahs, even in the spirit realm. Uh, we, we have a job to recruit and make disciples of those who will be the righteous nation, the saintly nation, the holy nation. And we, we're trying our best to do that. We are looking to, to serve God in the heavens, that this, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which we've studied the connection between what Jacob saw with Elohim and Yahweh at Bethel and what we are we are called to do as the people of God in applying the prayer of the Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and so on with that Lord's prayer. It's all about, see, every one of these things is sila by biblical definition. I just think it's, it's fascinating. So, why uh, I I love being able to see this locusts and and honey business and how that really does apply to the sila because John the Bee, his message was against perversion and crookedness. He was preparing the highway, which is a building up of the highway, which is sila derivatives. Um. This is just interesting, and that's why Jesus would say this is the greatest prophet born to women because you're dealing with everything that God wants. You're dealing with wanting people to be what he created them to be, to serve him before the throne, to connect heaven to earth, to engage in spiritual, um, uh, spiritual deliberations, to defeat the enemy, to welcome the kingdom. Every one of these things is what God wants. What greater prophecy is that than that? This is really how John could be, and the ministry of John as friend of the bridegroom, would undeniably be the greatest demonstration of the prophetic. You died a self for that. This is wonderful. 
I, I, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, I was reading these guys, and maybe some of them are women. It's hard to say when you're just reading black and white. They're probably, people that wrote most of this are dead now probably anyway. They're understanding all about Sela now. Um, they even were talking about how that the principle of the Sela was involved in the baskets that were made in the Old Testament, wherein women mostly and men would not only build the basket, construct the basket, and it would be putting one thing upon another toward a determined end, but then you would fill the basket with fruit or with bread, usually, those two. And they said that this was really a demonstration of sila. It was used from the same as a derivative. This, the building of this basket and what it was called was a sila. Then these Messianic Jews said, and I never, I couldn't quite follow what they were saying, how they made this connection. I'm just saying that they said it. So it probably, it's probably true. I'm just saying it. The thing about the baskets is true. But they extrapolated it into the New Testament and said that when Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 7,000 with women and children that included that the 12 baskets full were these kinds of baskets. And it was indicative of people in the wilderness needing supply and God providing for them based upon their preparation. I thought that was very interesting too. So, what do we do with any of this? I think the first thing we do is to recognize one of the first things that we talked about in this broadcast. We have emerged now into the month of November. If, and I believe prophetically this is true, the month of October really was a tangible prophetic seal of month, then we should recognize that the end of the sila, along with Amman and Shalom should be a celebratory thing. It should be a triumph, a giddiness, joyful expression. And I think that we should, in these next couple of days particularly, put an exclamation point to what we have said about this past month, a month that the enemy has traditionally thought is his but yet God has turned to the good. We should have a time of rejoicing and shouting. You do this individually. You do this before the Lord. And, you know, that's the one thing that I saw very clearly evident that even though they did not really understand what was going on, these, these scholars... And not a, scholars don't know everything. They have a here a little, there a little. They have bits and pieces. They didn't really understand 
after the after the um, the Babylonian captivity and when they came back and the, the, the veil was still over their face and was even to Paul's day and, and even is today. They didn't understand why there was a celebratory association with Selah. But they made it clear that there was a celebratory and it was one of the three big ending words. Even into the Jewish church that came in the first couple of centuries after the the work of Christ at at the cross a historian named Jerome stated that even in the early church now this is the early church fathers that they would speak of the shalom they would speak amen but they would also say selah at times he didn't say how this was a triumphant uh, conclusion. He didn't say that, but he wrote that those were the three. It's very interesting. But over the centuries then, Selah has just been dumbed down by the enemy. We know this. I mean, one of these Christo-Jews said, there are some people in Christianity who say that Selah means just to contemplate something. But but this person wrote, that doesn't make any sense. So you're supposed to contemplate part of the scripture, but not what comes next? Boy, when you think about it that way, it, it truly does make sense. So God would put, you know, the rest of these scriptures, they don't really matter. But this one, you better contemplate. <laughs> when you think about that, that that's really true. And, and he, he further went on to speak about uh, how some of the Romance languages say pause there. Pause. Why would you pause? Why wouldn't you just go on toward the triumph? You know, I don't know what you think, but when I'm battling something, I don't want to pause in the middle of the battle. I want to keep going. It's like what Churchill said, quoting somebody else, if you're going through hell, keep going. Don't stop. If you find yourself going through hell, keep going. Don't stop. Who wants to stop and pause in the midst of a chaos? So that didn't make sense either. But, you know, I'm grateful for these insights. They help us as saints. But, to get into an etymological battle with Hebrew scholars is a fool's errand. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, he would go in and he would argue. The Bible says he would debate and argue in the synagogues. And then later on, he would say, don't, don't engage in foolish, foolish battles. Uh, he had to do what he did then. But if you start arguing word meanings, I, I've told you this in the past, Sometimes I would watch people arguing about Hebrew terms, people with long lists of degrees behind their names, and they love nothing more than to argue. And if somebody who God said, don't go on and pursue a doctorate, which I was ready to do, because I thought that would help 
my career climb, and that's what most pastors do who go that way. There's some purists who, who just do it because they're, they feel the Lord tells them to. But most of the guys, and I know this, were doing it because it would look good on their application to pastor churches. Because tr to be truthful, I, I shouldn't go down that trail. Um, I bless all the people with D-men and different masters of divinity and doctoral degrees. I bless them all. But if, if, you, if you start arguing with people who like to argue, you're only going to wear, wear yourself out. What I'm telling you is that what we've talked about today has been gleaned from people who've made it their life career to study about the, the Hebrew roots of the Old Testament. And because God has given us insight from others who have done those studies, and we've been applying it through the study of the Word, we then can see these handfuls on purpose that are left out in the fields that are spoken of as, as actual um, truths. And you can say, you may not see how that can be. And they even say, we don't really know why this is, but this is what happened. We can say, well, we, we know, but not because we're smart, but because God has shown us we know why this is. It fits right here. So, I think as a result of this month of October, through these next couple of days at least, maybe even when you come together to pray on Saturday, apply that breakthrough shout and that rejoicing, which is the exclamation point of the sila it is the the crying out of breakthrough and maybe that's the voice of one crying in the wilderness maybe that was the triumphant thing of john Maybe it wasn't just his pointing out to people how that they had become subverted and perverted and corrupted and ruined and turned upside down. Yes, he, he spoke those things. But there had to be something. The anointing, of course. There had to be something that made those people come out to see him in the wilderness. There had to have been some entertainment factor or some delight that was communicated. Now, I know God can, God can do anything, but I don't see people lined up to go and hear how horrible they are. Do you have a desire to go, hey, how about you and I go? There's this guy over here that'll just <clears throat> tell us how nasty we are. Let's go over there. No way. I don't want to do that. 
That doesn't make no sense. No how. You don't draw crowds that way. Now, there are some people who just love to be told how bad they are. I just know people like that. I feel sorry for them. But there had to be something other than the anointing that John was doing. And I wonder if that cry in the wilderness wasn't him delighting himself in the Lord. If your message is just doom and gloom and sadness and you don't have an alternative, what good is your message? So, you had to be depicting something that the people should repent to. And if, if Selah was a crying out of triumph, then I would think that perhaps this was something that was going on in John that we don't really, we don't really see. That's just my opinion. It just makes sense. But my word to you is let's, let's keep pressing forward and know that this next year of breakthrough is really a year of the highway of the Lord and doing battle in the spirit realm in the Sela and partnering with the angelic in the Sela, welcoming heaven to earth in the Sela, uh, feasting on the, the meat and the honey from the Sela. I'm just blessed by this, and I trust you are too. So, time change this Sunday. Don't forget, unless you're in Arizona, but you might want to remember too, because we're going to be going back an hour. So, um, whatever that means for your accessing the broadcast. So first Saturday prayer, this Saturday, we rejoice and position ourselves for what is ahead of us in the Lord. But let's give this cry of rejoicing. And I, um, I'm very grateful. Repent. Turn that corrupted, perverted, subverted thing into what the kingdom is wanting to depict. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is angelic partnership. This is a covenant with God. And it is the measure of warfare for the kingdom in the days that we have been assigned to live and to serve God. Thank you for joining today. May God bless you abundantly. And is there any other way? I never heard anybody say, hey, God bless you just a little bit. May God bless you. And uh, very honored to be able to serve the Lord together with you as sons and as saints. Till next time, God bless you and goodbye. <laughs>